Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. This week we speak to Brandon Monroe for our weekly catch-up. Uh, we talk about some of the movements in the market, some new entrants, some capital raises, some U.S. government support initiatives, what's happening with the spot price and any potential volatility on the horizon. We also talk about the big topic of the week, which is what's been happening in Kazakhstan. And if you're listening on Crux Club, we also discuss two quite significant topics, which I think are absolutely fascinating and we're going to get into over the next couple of weeks. So enjoy the podcast. Brandon, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm really well, thanks, Matt. What about you? It's all good. I'm, I'm liking the backdrop. So you're obviously up at the cottage again. Yeah, yeah, getting a little a few more things done. So I've got school holidays coming up in a couple of weeks, and there aren't a lot of options as to where you can go from Perth. So we're just very lucky that uh, we've got this one. But it comes at a price. Uh, my wife has said that the kitchen wasn't quite up to scratch. So that's what we're doing at the moment here. Oh boy. oh boy, we've all had that conversation, haven't we? We've all been there. But what a view! See the river from there. That's absolutely gorgeous. You're a lucky, lucky man. And a, and a bit. Can you smell the eucalyptus? Yeah, and some of the gums are in blossom at the moment. So there's almost like this gentle honey smell around. It's been a beautiful day today. It's it's a bit embarrassing to call this winter. To be quite frank. Nice sunny day and really lovely down here. So you're right, we are very, very privileged. Privileged indeed. Well, look, we're here for our weekly catch-up. It feels like it's been a quiet week, but no doubt, I think we'll find one or two things to talk about. Um, I was particularly um, interested in some of these new entrants coming into the marketplace. There's been a few few fundraisings uh, as well, little, little bits of money here and there. And some of these new entrants coming in and, you know, and I'm not going to name names um, here, but I'm, I'm kind of interested in the parallels between the last cycle and this, you know, where they, we, we saw lots of young, new, excitable startups um, looking, looking at the uranium market and going, oh, maybe there's some money to be made here and, and not necessarily focusing on the quality of the asset or the target. I think there's some mistakes going to be made and I think you know what we'd like to do is maybe help investors recognize what good and, and, and bad looks like and not make the same mistakes as last time around so I mean I mean are you seeing that is that is that your sort of sense of what's happening in the marketplace of the, with these new entrants coming in that there is some kind of groundswell there is the ability to get finance there is the ability for these companies to who perhaps don't necessarily know what they're doing kind of enter the market uh, position themselves as you know an, an option yeah i mean that's clearly what's happening um usually what happens in a cycle of course is the longer you run in the cycle the poorer quality assets not only make it to market but succeed initially in market um so we are at the beginning of that and time will only tell how uh, these assets are in terms of quality and longevity and whether they can make it. But it is the early part of that run. It, what's interesting is some of the names behind the companies. So we're seeing not only Uranium Tragics bringing product to market, but we're seeing some in ASX, we're seeing some big names in terms of promoters, brokers who play right across the commodity spectrum, who've had big wins in a number of different commodities uh, 
precious metals, base metals, minor metals, even tech. And clearly they think now is the time for them to start positioning in uranium because they're putting their energy behind these, uh, these uh, backdoor listings and startups. So on the one hand, it says very good things about the market. And on the other hand, it's, it's obviously getting uranium out there, giving investors a lot of choice. And uh, they're going to need to find ways of exercising that choice wisely. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I guess what I constantly try and you know make people aware of or slightly rail against is the promotional component to these stories. And that's not to say some people can't make some money through just a pure promotion play, but unfortunately it's usually the wrong people and someone at the end of it gets left holding the baby, you, you coin my phrase that I use regularly. Um, and you know, it's got to come back to fundamentals, surely. And I'm you know, looking at some of the assets that people are, are um, purporting to be able to build a company around just don't stack up. Um, and not only that, but it's something which we got a lot of feedback from the conversation we had last week, which was the point that you made by the, the skill sets necessary to run uranium companies are in short supply. It's not... It's not easy. It's not mining. It's 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 mining plus plus plus. I think as you once said to me, um, where you've got to know what you're doing if you're coming into this space. So I think people suddenly realise the importance of, of uh, what you said said there. And I think again, unfortunately, I'm seeing a little bit of that in over the past you know two three two three weeks. Yeah, there's a lot in that, and I think we talked a lot about the special challenges and the complexities of uranium last week and for anyone who didn't hear that it's really worth going over again the promotional side is interesting as well uh, used incorrectly or perhaps too aggressively there's something quite distasteful about over promotion but it does have its role as well we've been in a bear market uh, many uranium companies are capital starved at the moment there's a lot of developments that aren't going forward because the cost of capital is just way too high. And we've talked before about how fortunate Bannerman is and I am because all of that work was done during the last boom. So the, all of those thousands of metres of drilling were funded at a much better cost of capital than what we could ever hope for right now. So good promoters and people who can really bring a lot of attention to a stock and good support behind of a stock, uh, they do have a role because they're going to enable um, projects to move forward a bit faster and at less cost to shareholders than if they're sort of limping along and making the best of the current market conditions. So, you know, I'm, I'm slow to criticise good promoters. It's more how they do it, how honest they are about it. And as you say, whether there is a real end game or if it's all just making sure you, uh, you jump, jump out off the train before it hits the cliff. Well, <laughs> There's the skill, right? There's the, there's the skill if you want to play that game. I, I personally, you know, maybe it is a necessary evil, but it does leave a bad taste in the mouth. And you know, I, again, phrase I, I'm going to repeat because I know I know we're going to be dealing with this um, scene, which is um, you've got you getting the timing right is is, is nigh on impossible. You know, I'm not, not sure anyone has got that skill, whether they're trying to find the bottom or the top. It, it's hard to do. Um, but at the end of this peak, which whatever that ends up looking like, someone's going to be left <clears throat> well out of pocket. You know, it's usually the retail guys. That, that, that's, my, 
my constant uh, fear uh, and, and battle and you know desire to educate so I think you know I agree necessary evil um, some are better than others but promotion is um, is something you've got you need to be careful of because it, ha it has a pros and usually many many cons uh, to it in my humble opinion um, but like we maybe, maybe we should stay away from that and, and talk about some of the more positive uh, things that have happened recently. So there's yet again more U.S. government um, initiatives, and by that I mean dollars being uh, loaded about uh, on offer. Um, what's your take on that? Oh, it's all good news. It's all grist for the mill, and we're seeing more direct involvement from the. Office of Nuclear Energy and also um, Department of Energy themselves. Uh, there's some very good spokespeople for the industry within those offices, um, which I think is really positive. And they've got uh, fairly steady news flow in terms of grants, forms of support, um, other government initiatives. Um, what is interesting is that it's all focused on the downstream. So. 90% of what we're seeing is focused on SMRs, on competitiveness of conventional reactors, of the nuclear supply chain as such. And so it'll be interesting to see what they've got backed up for uranium miners. And if we start seeing more of the news flow uh, for the front end fuel cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, it's just a drop in the ocean compared to what's needed. I mean, you know, you know, we talk obviously every week and we've spoken to a few other uranium market commentators um, who don't necessarily buy the SMR, the US SMR initiative um, in terms of its ability to meaningfully, you know, impact the economics of the US based on, you know, international sales, um, which, which I thought was really interesting. It, in fact, I thought it was so interesting. After you, we're speaking to uh, a guy called Ben Hurd, who's an eco-modernist. There you go. It's a phrase I've never heard before, yeah. um, and basically they 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 were they've done various studies and reports, and um, it's, it's a quite interesting group actually who are talking about you know can we actually ever achieve zero carbon energy globally? Um, and you know there's lots of people who advocate yes, and lots who say not not ever will that happen. And they they looked and they studied I think over. 34 different reports from various large groups um, and, and made their own conclusions. But I'm, I'm going to find out about that. But one of the things that he talks about is uh, SMRs. And um, so we're going to maybe do a little deep dive there because he seems to know quite a lot about it. Um, and maybe worth exploring maybe where the US sits today and, you know, whether it's hopes of uh, regaining its seat at the table. Um, you know, using SMRs is a likely possibility. Yeah, and look, I'm delighted that you're talking to Ben. He's incredibly intelligent individual. He's done a huge amount of work across the entire energy sector. He's an environmentalist at heart, a very good advocate for SMRs in the Australian context. And uh, any, anyone listening should follow him on Twitter. Uh, he talks across the spectrum of environmental social issues. Uh, which obviously is extremely important for our industry that we have strong, credible, pedigreed environmentalists 
who see the virtues and the value of nuclear energy. And given that he's operating within the Australian context where conventional reactors have effectively been ruled out, um, it's wonderful to have his focus on SMRs. So well done on reaching out to him, and I really look forward to seeing what he's got to say. I'm fascinated. I mean, we read a couple of um, the reports that they produced. Um, I mean, really, really interesting. I mean, just just unconventional uh, thinking and, you know, and pulling people up as well, you know, because everyone talks to their playbook, right? So, you know, different groups create different reports, but it talks to their own playbook uh, rather than sort of gen- genuinely un- in an unbiased way. And, you know, and he's looking at how do we deliver smart energy mixes? And I just thought that's kind of interesting way of looking at it. You know, it's, it's not a case because, I, I, you know, if I look at... Um, Name it, but a, a, a report which I read where you know talks about nuclear competing against other energy sources, and I was like, well, it's not necessarily competition. I think there's maybe room for all of the above if you look at the forecast uh, energy forecast requirements coming down the line. Um, and it's you know how do they work smartly together? Because I guess different geographies will have you know different um, abilities. You know, if you're living in Australia or Spain. Maybe, you know, solar makes a lot of sense. If, if you're off the coast of Scotland, wind makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and clearly nuclear you know, plays a big part of this or should play a, a very big part of this going forward as well. So, I, I'm, yeah, it, it should be an interesting conversation. You, you, you obviously know Ben well. Um, and, yeah, anyone listening to this should listen to that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, let's, let's also talk about... Um, one other thing, you know, with, with with regards to spot price, I mean, again, we said last week, it's kind of in, in the doldrums, but do you, do you see any kind of volatility in the price coming up? Yeah, I think uh, we will see more volatility. Uh, it's very flat at the moment. There isn't much volume going through at all. Uh, there hasn't been a um, lot of momentum coming from utility buyers. But we are getting to the end of a quarter we're getting to the end of the month and what we have seen uh, in the past is the capacity for it to be volatile, um, single market players or a couple of market players acting with a singular motive can affect the spot price when there isn't a lot of volume and there isn't a lot of buying on the other side. Um, so I'm watching for that, probably expecting that and let's just see how it goes. Yeah, well, um, yeah. Let's, let's see how it goes. But okay, the last, Thing I want to talk to you about before we move over to the Crux Club members is um, Kazakhstan. <laughs> Two of the senior members of government have contracted the coronavirus um, and two people quite relevant to the production of uranium. So what do you know? Yeah, look, this is really the most important thing to watch in the uranium sector at the moment and people who follow us each week we'll know that we've dedicated time to this topic every single week, following what's happening in Kazakhstan with COVID, uh, what is the likelihood of the Kazakh production disruption ceasing early, ceasing on time or being extended. And for the first time, I think we've got a fairly clear indication that the chance of an extension is significant. Um, So you're right, there's been two high profile members of current and former Kazakh government. Um, first of all, Nasultan Nazarbayev, who was the founding president of Kazakhstan, former PM, 
uh, he's reported as now having COVID-19 or coronavirus. Um, he's well into his 70s, might be 79 now. So the country will be very concerned about that. He's, he's still obviously revered in Kazakhstan. He only recently handed over power uh, probably less than a year ago. Um, so there's not only a heightened awareness factor in Kazakhstan at the moment, but there's also a respect factor that will be playing a big role. Um, you wouldn't want to be the company announcing a return to full business if um, something uh, unfortunate was to happen to the founding leader of the new nation. Um, now, the other one is the country's health minister also is reported to have had COVID-19. And so these two things, plus the what seems to be a um, bit of a second wave really in Kazakhstan, has led to a numerous shutdowns and new measures um, it seems to be that they want to really curtail all forms of activity this weekend, and that has the potential to carry on. So we are only a couple of weeks away from the end of the three months that was initially prescribed as being the anticipated or estimated period of uh, production disruption where wellhead development and so on wouldn't carry on. Uh, I would call it quite likely that we'll see that extended or if it... Um, if it does stop, it'll probably stop in a fairly gentle way. Yeah, I think I think um, I think the uranium bulls will be quite excited by that news because it's everything that they'd hoped. Because the you know if the supply side of things you know carries on as it has been for you know another quarter or another you know another another period of time, we, they're ca they're counting the pounds which are missing from the market. They're counting. Um, on Cameco um, and others actually signalling you know, their intent. And for utility buyers, um, we, we don't know what they think. We don't know what they think. Cause I, I still hark back to the number of the US utility numbers which came out a couple of weeks ago, which kind of caught everyone on the hop. Um, you know, and I guess that they're the most important ones, but I think generally for uranium bulls, they'll see this as a signal to be piling in. And I think that seems to be the, the noise that we're hearing, as we talked about earlier, new entrants coming in, the ability to get you know, bits of financing away. Um, there's a lot more commentary in mainstream press. We're seeing reports on, you know, on TV. Um, so I think the, the, the ground swells there. It's just that still that lack of clarity on how and when we start to see movement on spot price again and what that does for equities. Well, that's right. As I say, I can see things being fairly flat for the rest of this month. Um, there's no uh, particular time frame in which I'd expect an announcement from Kazadamprom over this. Uh, so there's every chance that they'll take their time until next month when there's even further clarity and they know exactly what's going on and either announce that they've returned to wellhead development or announce that they haven't, in which case the market will expect uh, some level of guidance over how long they expect the extension to carry on for. And that'll be the trigger that I think bulls will be looking for. We have talked before about the compounding nature of any extension of the Kazakh production cuts. And I think that is really important for people. So anyone who's tuning in to our show for the first time, this is the important thing to understand. First of all, it's been three months at the end of this month that 
production disruption has affected all of Kazakh production, including their joint ventures. And what that means is that they haven't been able to do wellhead development. In other words, the already acidified um, horizons that uh, were developed three or four or five or six months ago, they've carried on with production. The pumps have continued running. They've still operated their um, recovery facilities. So it was a, the work that was done between three and six months ago that's been yielding the uranium that's continued to be produced and sold. And also Kazatomprom, the main player in all of this, who's the, um, the majority owner of these assets, they flagged that they could still comfortably ride through about three months of disruption whilst tapping into their inventories. Uh, that they maintain as a producer. And that would have put them into a slightly more comfortable position by being able to work down their inventories to more manageable levels. The moment we go over those three months, if that is in fact what happens, not only do these assets start reaching the tail of their productivity, in other words, the work that was done a few months ago, um, except for the very best of those assets, the recoveries will be starting to taper, they'll be getting right down. So the amount of uranium hitting the recovery plant and then being able to hit the barrel will be tapering quite significantly at this point. Um, also, the, the amount of uranium that's capable of being delivered, not only by Kazatomprom, but by its partners, will be tapering as well. So we've said before that for the first few months, the market hasn't really felt this production disruption. And it's now that they will feel the first three months of production disruption and also any extensions which will compound on that. And the other thing to bear in mind is just the effect that it could have on the uh, utilities, traders and other market players sentiment. Uh, they could look at three months and they could see that as uh, perhaps absorbing some of the excess inventory that existed, producer inventory, absorbing a little bit of utility inventory that they could rely on to see them through. Um, if we do see an extension, particularly if there isn't very clear guidance as to how long that extension is going to last for, now there aren't available producer inventories that can simply fund these disrupted pounds. It's gonna to need to come from somewhere. And back to your question about spot price. Uh, well, in, case, in terms of Cameco, that'll need to come from the spot market. In terms of Kazatomprom, they've told us uh, in public uh, forums, in interviews, that in fact, if it goes much longer than three months, they'll also need to consider coming to the spot market to buy the pounds that they can deliver into their contracts. And that's not to mention the other joint venture parties who, whilst some of them won't need to buy in the spot market in order to deliver into long-term contracts, there will be a similar effect because they won't have the pounds available that they can deliver into the spot market. So it's a very significant time. It's a very significant time to be monitoring what's going on. And yes, I, I agree with you. The uranium bulls are looking to start placing their bets right now at a time when we're gonna see probably another couple of weeks of equities under pressure for those investors who are investing purely on what the spot price is doing at this point. So it's a great time. It's a great time to be watching. And for those investors, it's a great opportunity, I think. I think it is a great opportunity. I think it's a great opportunity if you pick the right company um, and know what you're doing and don't bet on this. You know, you know, bother to maybe go through some of the transcripts of our conversations would, would make a lot of sense to understand what you're playing with um, before you put your money down. So, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely 
opportune times for sure. Um, I mean, to, and to that point, I think we've, we've just for the viewers, we've managed to nail a date down to actually speak with Kazakhstan Prom. That was something that's been a long time uh, baking, uh, but we finally managed to do it. So we're speaking to them in a couple of weeks and we'll be able to talk to them about their strategy uh, and um, and what they think of the market currently. So quite excited about that one. Um, I think it's time to move over to the Crux Club. We've got two quite exciting topics to talk about in there, actually. Two quite big things. So we're going to say goodbye to our CruxInvestor.com uh, regular subscribers and uh, move over there. Great. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, CruxInvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.